my name is David Shire, and this is How It's Going So Far, the now number one anime recommendation podcast. I know, it's <laughs> just changing the format every single week, and this joke never gets old for me. But anyway, uh, hi, uh, it, it's been it's been a minute, it's been a week, I've been consistently uploading. We're now in, it, we're now in episode 22, and the final episode of the season. Uh, I decided that I, I'm going to start stop labeling these as season one. I want to keep the episodes at 22 uh, per length. Uh, I, the way I justify it is I want to be about as long as a, as a CW show where I feel like I overstay my welcome a little bit in the season. But, you know, I still feel like I give like a full season arc. Uh, when we first started this podcast, I mean, I was talking about hiking. I was talking about chess. I was talking about all this boring nonsense that nobody cared about, about my personal life. I wasn't being as genuine or as fun as I used to be, as I am now currently. And so... And so I feel like I've made some great strides during this season of uh, how it's going so far. Uh, the way I pitched the show in my head is that I thought it would be kind of the sitcom show where like everybody listening would be see my potential and see my growth. And hopefully by the end of the season, maybe I get a girlfriend or something. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> unfortunately, that hasn't ar- arisen in my life. But anyway, that's it. That's that, this is going to be the end of season one. Uh, season two, um, we're just going to ke- kind of keep on going along. Uh, I just kind of wanted to put this as kind of like this benchmark of what I want the show to be going forward and what it's going to be going forward. I really think that going forward, this is more going to be like just a random pop culture recommendation podcast where I pick a TV show or I pick a movie that I've seen recently, uh, compare it to maybe other films or other movies that I've seen of similar quality. Next week, uh, this week, we're going to talk about uh, Mamoru uh, Hosoda and his, his, uh, most, his most recent film and the film that I believe is his best film. But we're also going to do some things on the podcast, like comparing two separate films. Like recently, I rewatched uh, Princess Mononoke uh, with my mother, and it was a really, it was a really fun ride to uh, rewatch that movie. Uh, the first time I watched it actually was about a year ago with my roommate, and um, I just thought that the the whole story was really excellent, and it did remind me a bit of the movie Avatar. And so I'm kind of working on this on this podcast idea of comparing the two and seeing where Avatar kind of had some shortcomings, and seeing um, if and uh, comparing it to Princess Mononoke and how it does it better. And and if Avatar does, I'm even though I'm not very confident that Avatar does have something over Princess Mononoke, um, <laughs> well, I, if there is something that I think that uh, Avatar does better than Princess Mononoke, I'll bring it up on next week's podcast. But again, for this podcast, what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about uh, a film director in Mamoru Hosode, who's really this, like, up-and-comer, like, second generation of uh, Studio Ghibli uh, film director. Uh, he's most notable before, before like, having a major career. Like, uh, I remember him as a kid being the director of Digimon. Not that I actually knew that he was the director of Digimon, but that's, like, the only work that I knew, I knew him from. And I watched the crap out of that Digimon movie as a kid. And watching it back now, it's definitely aged poorly. Like, like I, I, was, le- I was watching this video about it, the Digimon movie, and what I found so interesting is that one thing I didn't realize is that they basically what they did with the Digimon movie is they basically took three separate Digimon movies that were made in Japan already. Uh, they call them OVAs, which is basically just kind of like a longer, a little bit more, um, a little bit more money thrown into production episodes of Digimon. And they had like these three Digimon movies that they, they created in Japan in Japan years before like the Digimon movie came out in America. And what they did is they they took those three films, those three separate films that had really not a lot to do with one another, and they spliced them into one giant movie. And then they had to work out a way to to connect the films in in certain ways. And so really, it kind of becomes this whole mess. And I 
it's not the film that uh, I would recommend if you want to uh, want to see Mamoru Hosoda's work, even though there are some great sequences in that movie. Uh, and but moving on to kind of like going back to maybe that's talking a little bit about his first work. Going to his most recent work, we're going to talk about a film that came out in the in the not so far off year of uh, 2021. I know I, films came out that year, like, but the movie is called Bell. Now, what Bell is about is is a story about this girl named Suzu whose uh, mother died when she was very young. And the way that her mother ended up dying was she was trying to save a little girl who was kind of trapped in this river. She went, she was able to save the little girl, but unfortunately she was unable to swim back to shore and ended up perishing in the river. Uh, Since her mother's death, Suzu has taken a step back from the world and she's created a lot of these different songs and has, and still creates a lot of these different songs. But because of kind of this mental block that she has, she she really has no ability to sing them with any sort of confidence. And it's not until she's introduced to the online world known as You, where she creates an avatar named Belle, and she is able to to sing her songs and again, and she is able and through her experience, she gains a ton of popularity on this platform. Um, unfortunately, though, uh, as she gains popularity during her one of her performances, it gets interrupted by another avatar who's only really known as the Beast. And it's up to Belle to figure out who this mysterious figure is and why this mysterious figure is in so much pain. And so right away, there's a lot of really strong pros to this film. I think that the animation is very strong. Um, it's maybe some of Mamoru Hosoda's like best work in terms of just pure animation. I do think that, uh, I, I want to keep positive, but I do think that uh, it is hard to animate singing and make it look like it's uh, really like show the strain of what it's like to sing certain songs. And sometimes I can feel like the, I feel like the singing performances are a bit kind of floaty. I, I don't know how else to describe it, but, but Despite that, I think that the beauty of the animation kind of eclipses that in a lot of ways. Um, other things that I really like about this film is that there is a lot of more... Uh, there's like this deeper theme of connection and kindness is at the forefront. It has, a lot to, it has a lot to say about internet culture and how internet culture can be a little bit cold and isolating in some instances. Uh, once Belle starts performing her songs, for example, she is performing literally the most beautiful songs I've ever heard in any anime movie, like ever. And... And still, despite that fact, she is still hated upon by a lot of the population in the world of you. Uh, a lot of people have like differing opinions, but it's still, but through her singing, she is able to kind of connect with the beast character and, and through just like being like having this whole world, this whole social platform, she's able to connect with this character. And I think that's, that's a very interesting kind of parallel to our world right where we we produce like uh, as a content creator myself like i produce this i produce this show every week and i have this weird feeling of like okay i'm throwing myself out there and seeing what happens and i think a big struggle for me as a creator for a long time has been just like this fear of being hated like i don't like i I never have really liked hearing negative con uh comments uh you know i I grew up in kind of like a negative environment. And so it was tough for me to kind of get over that fear and get onto, uh, get onto a social platform and really start posting more and more. But, you know, I think that what, what you miss out on is that you miss out on like, you know, connecting with community, with a community and connecting with people who are like-minded. And so, and that's kind of what this, this story slightly touches upon. Um, another big pro for this story is that I think the songs are straight up fire, like I said before. Uh, Gail's a song is just like a really beautiful introductory song. 
Um, there, the world of you itself, uh, the, the main theme of the movie is really, really good though. It's one of those songs where she sings the lyrics so quickly that when I'm singing along to it, uh, there's like only certain points where I can actually understand what she's saying. And like, so like keep on going and going and then I'll be like, and fate is never on our side. And then like you keep, and then it just keeps on going and I have no idea what she's singing past that part, but I really nail that one, that one little, those three little notes <laughs> that I hit. So, um, that would be like my only drawback to the song, but it's so fire and it's so well mixed. And then the final performance uh, with Belle, she has this really great final performance scene that I won't spoil uh, at all, like why she's doing it or like or what it is. But I will say it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. And I, if if this movie came came out again in theaters, and if I know it's playing in a local theater. Uh, I am buying a ticket 100% because seeing it on the big screen, like I watched it on a pretty big TV in my house, but I want to like, I can't even imagine like the feeling and the goosebumps I'll feel like seeing it on the big screen and seeing just like the performance and seeing the emotion and like feeling the emotion on screen. Um, it was said that once uh, Mamoru Hosoda presented this at a film festival that people gave a standing ovation. And while I don't feel like the film is that is, is perfect, I feel like after watching the final performance in that film, I can see why people would stand up and just like, you know, be like, uh, give that much credit to it. Cause really it's so beautiful that like you almost hold your breath. It's, it's crazy. Um, yeah. And so moving on to some of the cons of the film though, um, I'd say the biggest con of the film for me is that there really isn't a lot of world building. Uh, this whole movie takes place in the world of you, which is like the social media metaverse platform. And it seems like the only thing you can really do in this, in that world is that you can kind of float around and like certain things and talk crap about people. And basically it's just like the internet in general. <laughs> there's, not, there's not a ton. Uh, you don't even get your own avatar creation. Like the way that the avatars work and the way that they're created is that it takes like a scan somehow of your like emotions and is able to is able to create a character around who you truly are. Um, so when Suzu uh, does her creation, she submits a photo and because of her singing ability and whatever, and like her pure soul, she ends up getting this really beautiful avatar that maybe that doesn't that like accentuates like her features and stuff like that. Like it, but it's not really a choice. Right. So that's kind of, it's kind of like this weird, weird thing that I don't quite understand. And the movie doesn't really stop down and explain why that is. But I, I you know, I guess like, you know, the inner, like, I guess on a metaphorical le level, the inner self uh, <laughs> being more beautiful, uh, I guess it kind of makes sense, but it's, it's more of just like a metaphoric uh, plot convenience kind of thing. Um, I felt like that, uh, honestly, like I felt like the world building in Wreck-It Ralph 2 probably had like stronger world building and had better explanations on why things happen the way that they work, which is kind of a detriment to this film. Like it's quite, quite a burn to this film, but it's true. I, I just don't think that they spent a lot of time explaining how the world worked and why like everybody was super obsessed with this app when really like it's just, you're just like floating around in servers and you're not really doing much, right? Um, I think secondly, I think the pacing is a little bit slow in the beginning or not in the beginning. I would say in the middle, in the middle portion after Belle creates her avatar and after the beast is, is, um, introduced, uh, it kind of plays a lot of similar beats to another Disney classic, uh, Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> Obviously, that's kind of what this movie's ref uh, referencing a lot of the time. And while, like, it does take the story in, uh, different directions, it is kind of weird to see, like, the same beats kind of being repeated, uh, 
so much so that there's even like a dance sequence between Belle and the Beast where you're just like, oh, this is basically just Beauty and the Beast uh, redone again, right? And so... And so that kind of slows it down. And then, two, they really set up this mystery about who the Beast is. And the way they do it, I just felt was kind of sloppy, where they just kind of had like a bunch of newsreels where they would show a newsreel and be like, hey, this person can be the Beast. And then they'd show another newsreel. It's like, no, no, really, this person could be the Beast. And then they'd show another newsreel. They're like, oh, maybe the Beast is a woman and this person's the Beast. And... Then the way that they resolve that near the end is that, or like throughout the movie, is that they just show more newsreels. There wasn't really an investigation per se on who these people were, or at least it didn't feel that way. Um, and so I just felt like it wasn't super, it wasn't like a super compelling thing. Like, like one of the guys like clearly was implying he's the beast and was like, you know, trying to use it for profit. I guess that was kind of interesting, but there wasn't, there wasn't really like a strong motive or a strong driving force to figure out who the beast was outside of, um, Outside, like and exploring like these different other characters who could have been the beast you know like i felt like if you we spent more time figuring out why these certain people could have been the beast and like figuring out like why it would be interesting if they were uh it would be the movie would have been a lot better but needless to say like all like for the most part it's kind of like this weird throwaway thing like who's the beast and it's like oh it could be this person oh it's not that person like that, that that's kind of the plot point that played over and over again uh which is it's weird because the actual reveal of who the beast was and how it kind of really changes the story is really interesting. Like, I think on a rewatch, this movie will be a little bit better uh, because you don't um, in some ways because you'll know who the beast is and you'll see kind of the symbolism of what his pain actually means. But in some ways, I, I also think it'll be kind of worse because it, it beca- it'll become even more irritating <laughs> not know- being like, yeah, the Beast is not that person. Like, why are we even bothering with this uh, this pace, right? Um, but overall, I mean, the it's this is a, an interesting movie to me because it feels like the whole movie was kind of built around the ending final performance scene and, and it, with the connections to Disney. Um, it makes the film, I feel like, a really interesting are a really great gateway anime for people to get into. Um, even some of the character designs are very Disney-esque. And, th- and that's because I was watching a back... Uh, I was watching a behind-the-scenes snippet where they said that they hired out a, um, a South Korean animator. I forget what his name is. I'll credit him in the show notes. But uh, he apparently ended up working on a lot of Disney projects back in the early 90s. And so uh, there is, like, these kind of reminiscent designs of early 90s... Um, early 90s Disney uh, showing up in this movie. Um, overall, though, and overall, though, I would say that the film is pretty good. It's definitely worth a watch. I think it's only uh, four, four or $5 to rent on Amazon Prime right now. And honestly, it's one of these movies where you can rent either the Japanese sub or dub version of the, or the English dub version of the, uh, of the movie. Both are actually pretty great. Uh, my, it's, it's really strange to have like a, a really good English dub and Japanese dub, especially when there's singing involved. Uh, it's hard to kind of match like those voices, but somehow like they found an American singer that sounds exactly like the Japanese singer and the way that they were able to really focus in on the words and still like tell the same exact story through the songs while also matching the words. Um, I've heard it's like not speaking any Japanese myself. I heard that the translation was actually pretty good. And they really focus. They were really able to kind of focus on like matching the lips as best as they could. Though again, I think that overall, like uh, the the singing can feel a bit floaty at times. But needless to say, I definitely would recommend this work. 
Um, and speaking of Mamoru Hosoda um, and his most latest work, let's go ahead and move on to what I believe is his actual best film. Uh, even though even though Bell is technically higher rated on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, I think that uh, Mamoru Hosoda's best work is by far The Boy and the Beast. Uh, I thought that was going to be a smoother transition, but you know what? This is my podcast, and sometimes my transitions just aren't smooth. So, <laughs> so we're just going to keep moving on here. So The Boy and the Beast, what The Boy and the Beast is about is it's about a boy named Ren who, after running away from home, he discovers an entire secret beast world where everybody is like a different type of animal who could walk around. You know, there's some pigs, there's some like, you know, uh, some like birds and stuff like that. And what he ends up running into is he ends up running into Kamatetsu, who is a bear who is training to fight in this tournament against his rival, uh, Yozen, who's a boar. And what they're fighting for is that they're fighting to become uh, the lord of the world, of uh, the beast world, because the current lord is one day going to ascend and become a god. And so the two of them are kind of fighting to take over that position. Uh, Unfortunately, though, Kamatetsu is very brash. He's very irrational. And if he were to actually end up becoming the leader, um, he he wouldn't really be fit. So the lord kind of commands Kamatetsu that he needs to be able to take on a pupil. And when Kamatetsu is just kind of wandering around in the uh, human world, he sees Ren and he ends up taking him in as kind of this mentor-student relationship. But what I really love about this film is that The Boy and the Beast is really like a character piece between these two characters. It, it starts off as like this begrudging mentor, uh, mentor rela- uh, student relationship. And then like after a while, the lines get kind of blurred where Kamatetsu is very much super flawed. And so Ren is able to kind of point that out and then point out some of the and kind of help Kamatetsu kind of calm down, uh, start taking his training a little bit more seriously. And it becomes more of a father son relationship as the story progresses, progresses. I would say it's even more so it's like an adopted father, adoptive father, uh, son relationship, which is super interesting. There's a lot to say about like found families. And it's a trope that I really like in film and TV. Like you see it a lot in sitcoms and you see it a lot in stories like this, where, you find like the the ability to find a family and find a home in a situation where you, you wouldn't expect it. I just, I love that kind of theme and it's something that I really like seeing in this movie. Um, and honestly, there's a couple other reasons why this movie kind of hits me a little bit harder than uh, bell is that, um, you know, dealing with like a situation where it's kind of the strained relationship between a father and son uh, it's definitely something I relate to a lot. Um, I grew up in a military uh, household. And so people have asked me, you know, why is it that I never followed in my dad's footsteps in becoming a Marine? And like my answer always is, well, because like basically I was like <laughs> a Marine for like 18 years. I had to live a certain way. And like anybody that has ever been like a kid of a military parent knows that like there's a certain higher standard of living that you're like constantly under as a kid that maybe the other kids aren't used to. And so... Uh, seeing uh, Kamatetsu and Ren kind of like go back and forth and have this mentor uh, pupil relationship and you know like Kamatetsu yelling at, the, at Ren and being like why, why can't you be stronger and stuff like that like it's definitely something I relate to and uh, seeing but also you know seeing like kind of the deep love and uh, and care that both characters have for one another is really interesting and it really it really goes above and beyond showing kind of their trouble troubling parts of their relationship and like how they in a lot of ways complete one another. Um, more so too, I also think that this movie just kind of has a kind of nonstop pace to it. 
there's never a moment where I was checking my phone because I was like, man, this is like, like, or checking my phone on Instagram because like, man, like the film is like kind of slowing down a bit and I felt like it was okay for me to check it. Uh, it just goes from like scene to scene so seamlessly and it just never, it never really stops um, where, and it has, it pretty much has everything I look for. Like it has some really great fight sequences. Uh, some of the battles between Kamatetsu and Yozen is just really fun and really energetic. Um, I would say that there are a couple of flaws in the plot where there are certain things that get revealed where you're like, yeah, obviously, like, why did, <laughs> why did anybody not pick up on this sooner in this world? But overall, like, the plot, the plot, um, is moving along so briskly that it's really hard. Like, and the movie doesn't really, uh, sit anywhere too long that you don't really think about it th- uh, that much until, like, well after the film is over. Like, I watched this film, like, five years ago and I thought it was pretty great. I watched it, like a week ago, I thought it was really, really good. And then, and then the only time I actually even noticed a flaw in the film was when I was like researching the film to like make sure I got some of the names at least partially right. And I, I looked into YouTube comments, which is just a cesspool. <laughs> and I saw like somebody pointed out like, well, yeah, this, there's like this one flaw that I have with it. It's like, oh yeah, that is kind of a flaw. So, uh, it really, like, it really is just like, there's like a couple things that here and there, but it's just like, you don't need to worry about it. Um, also, I just think that the ending of this film, I feel like I feel like Maru Hosoda has like really solid endings to films. And I think this one and kind of the theme of being somebody that is angry and being somebody that has feels like they have a hole in them uh, in their hearts and uh, having people fill that hole with like love and kindness, I think is a really powerful uh, ending. Se- it's like a really powerful ending sequence. And it's something it's something I feel like Maru Hosoda really does well. Um, you watch enough. I, I've heard this uh, this theory about directors is that if you watch enough enough of a director's work, you can kind of get a sense of like who the director is as a person and what matters most to them. And you know, you see it in Tim Burton films. There's always like a, an artist type character who's perceived as dangerous or is perceived as an outsider. Thinking of uh, movies like Edward Scissorhands, and I feel like what a running theme in Mamoru Hosoda's film films are is like the importance of family and the importance that family has in your life and to move forward and being somebody that has a family that is very important to him. I feel like that's kind of the reason why uh, these films really resonate with me and just like, you know, and more so in the, uh, the boy and the beast, but in bell to like having somebody reach out and show that they care is what ultimately is going to heal uh, wounds. And that's kind of what both these films kind of have in common. Uh, with one another. And you'll see it also in some of his other films. I mean, he has some other great works. Uh, we'll just kind of quickly glance over it. Um, Mirai uh, is uh, the film right before they did right before bell. It's a film about like a boy kind of, kind of learning, uh, learning how to grow up with like a sister and learn and kind of like dealing with the complex emotions of like, you know, wanting to be a good brother, but like not really knowing. And like, you know, he's a kid, but he doesn't really quite understand what all this world, this world means. But then, they have this whole twist where he kind of sees his sister as like an older person uh, in her, uh, as a teenager uh, and he like interacts with her. And it's, it's this really weird film in terms of like timelines and stuff like that. And you're not quite sure if it's all in the kid's head or if it's actually happening. But it's also like, again, greatly done and greatly animated. And then she, he also did a film. Uh, I would consider this his first like if you're really wanting to get into Mamoru Hosoda is early career. That's called The Girl Who Leapt Through Time. I, uh, I remember a little bit, some pieces of it. I was going to watch it for this podcast, but unfortunately, I kind of ran out of time. Uh, but it, uh, it, from what I remember, it was like this really solid like time travel adventure story. 
And so if that sounds of interest to you, I would give that a shot as well. Or just give a shot to uh, either of the two films that we've talked about today. Um, anyway, in closing, in closing, uh, just like quick a couple of things that I want to announce. Um, I got a new Instagram for the podcast. It's called HGSF underscore podcast. Um, there you can like and follow and see what we're going to be posting uh, weekly on the podcast. I'll give hints on like what what it is that we're going to post and we're going to... St- we're going to start trying to build a little bit more of a social media following and start building a community. Uh, I've been trying to get on a... Po- I got on a couple of podcasts this week. I've done an interview today and I did one on Saturday. Um, and uh, they were just to, you know, get my feet wet to get into the community a little bit more. So, and both interviews went super great. I think I said something on this podcast that I said in another interview. Oh, well, <laughs> but... but. So, but um, it's definitely, I'm definitely like more focused on getting this podcast um, more attention and getting this to be a little bit more of a full-time thing because, you know, my job can be very stressful and getting like an an extra source of passive income, I think at this point in my life is just a smart idea. And so that's what I want to do. And also, um, I'm also thinking about like restarting and really, really diving into the Patreon um, I, if you want to support the podcast, you can always uh, go to how it's going so far on Patreon and uh, give some money there. But I want, but before you do that, I really want to figure out like what I want to do with that platform. I've been thinking about like maybe doing like a monthly meetup with patrons and like talking to the patrons, maybe doing like board game nights and stuff like that over Zoom. That's something I've been looking into. And then also, uh, if you do donate um, in the next week or so. Um, or the next couple of weeks, I'll I will give you a shout out on the podcast. We'll start figuring out what the names are uh, for for the different ty- levels of patrons, but uh, it's definitely something I'm looking uh, forward to kind of building out as well because I want to kind of build out a community of people who just like like talking about nerd and weird crap or like pop culture and movies, and so uh, I want to start building a community on Patreon as well. Um, as far as like um, as far as anything else going on, I mean like the Instagram reels that I've been creating, it's been super fun for me to do. I have this whole thing where like I'm a bit nervous about getting my face on camera because of like acne and stuff like that. I thought I thought by the time I turned 20 that acne would no longer be a problem. And so figuring out that that is still consistently a problem and not really thinking that I'm like the most attractive person has always kind of stopped me from from really like posting a lot on social media. But I feel I, uh, as I've been doing the Instagram reels and as I've been doing it consistently, it's definitely been a confidence boost in some ways because uh you know, you just post random crap and people like it, you know, so you, you can find your audience wherever it goes. And uh, it's definitely been a real pleasure getting to uh, be on social media. This has been David Shire, and that's how it's going so far.